0: Whether you need to manage bots, protect cloud applications at runtime, stop form jacking attacks, or secure your web applications and APIs, only Imperva offers a unified solution to protect from edge to application and data in one tool. Imperva helps you achieve more, save money, and become more efficient with fewer security vendors needed. Start a free trial today to easily protect your apps and website with Imperva. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash Imperva. We discuss application security a lot on this show, and we know that the implications for code security have become even greater as cloud adoption accelerates software development. ShiftLeft bridges the gap between security teams and developers to find and fix vulnerabilities accurately from the source. ShiftLeft Core is an innovation in code security with industry-leading accuracy and speed. It combines next-generation static code analysis, intelligent software composition analysis, secrets detection, security insights, and contextual developer security education in one one easy to use platform. Learn more and create your free, yes, free account at securityweekly.com forward slash shift left. Are you looking for a solution to protect your web apps against the most business critical security vulnerabilities? Unleash the power of automated ethical hacker knowledge with Detectify for continuous coverage and relevant security vulnerability findings. Upgrade your web app security with speed and scale and start a two week free trial at securityweekly.com forward slash Detectify. Go hack yourself. Welcome back to
1: Application Security Weekly. I'm your host, Mike Shima, joined by John Kinsella. Security Weekly Unlocked will be held in person this December 5th through 8th at the Hilton Lake Buena Vista. We're excited to announce our first round of speakers. Dave Kennedy, Alyssa Miller, O'Shea Bowens, Marina Savada, Patrick Koble, Chris Eng, Eric Escobar, Kevin Johnson, and Justin Kohler. Visit securityweekly.com unlocked to register and check out our exciting lineup. If you missed any of our previously recorded webcasts or technical trainings, they are available for your viewing pleasure at securityweekly.com slash on demand. Also available for your viewing pleasure is the entire show index of that application security weekly. So please go check that out as well. And while people are loading up that uh, show index page in their browser, uh, there's a couple of uh, Ah, uh, just a, a few uh, Volns and such for us to cover for the news this week, John. Uh, one of the things that is uh, not a vuln, but is looking for Volns is this new, well, re- renewed Punk Spider. So here is a tool that's going to be re-released or a new version of it released in DefCon, and what it is is essentially a massive web application scanner that uh, goes out finds some common vulnerabilities, and then makes them available to anyone who wants to look them up. Sort of a, a showdown, if you will, uh, for, for the web layer. And uh, as you might or might not guess, it's stirred a little bit of debate about just what's the purpose or what's the effectiveness of it? What's the intent? And uh, my first reaction to this was more about what does the current ecosystem around web application vulnerabilities look like and how has that changed as opposed to just updating the code of a scanner to be more parallel, more functional, more performant, et cetera. And this to me sounds a lot like of a way of, if it's just going for, let's find as many vulns and make those vulns as available to as many people as possible and then cross our fingers that they get fixed, that sort of sounds like the, the, the wrong way of setting up a bug bounty program, if you will. Because if you have... Uh, if you don't have a way to respond to bugs, or you don't have a way to contact people about bugs, or if you're not contacting the owners of applications who would be responsible for fixing these bugs, there's a lot of things that have the potential to go wrong here. So if the intent is to raise the bar of security throughout the web, not sure this raises the bar. It just kind of kicks the bar a little bit and says hey we should do something or actually it says maybe hey somebody should do something
2: and kind of walks away from there it i mean by itself okay cool yay! you know it saves us a bit of work if we want to go pop some sites for those who do that because we obviously don't Um, but you know, let's think like engineers, if we're going to put this data out there I'd love to hear that they're actually going to go back and track those sites and look at them over three or six months, do they, do those things that they're publishing get fixed, is there a timeline they get, I mean there could be a really interesting paper came out of this, um, but I'm, I'm not sure if they're doing it for that or for sales, so, I, I don't know, it's, it's to me it gets sort of like, you know, the Kinsella roll of the eyes, it, it's, it's it, you know, trademark uh it is it's like i said it's saving us time but people can still find them uh, okay i mean yeah it, it's 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 not doing anything really benefiting anybody are people going to respond to that and get their stuff fixed i i hope so but i'm guessing they won't so uh... <laughs> yeah i think
1: it's the um I think it's the 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 shrug and move on. I think is going to be my vote for that article because <laughs> yeah. don't have don't have much to add there. But it was definitely in the news and wanted to cover that and just throw out um, at least our perspective on it for now and what we know about it. On a totally different end of the spectrum, though, is Google. They um, their their vulnerability reward program, A.K.A bug bounties has been around for over 10 years and they've spent if i'm going to get my numbers right roughly 30 million dollars on the program which if we're talking about budgets and you've brought up some articles before about what's the cost to fix vulnerabilities in production the cost roughly to find vulnerabilities in production is $3000 uh, you know just to make the math easy and so you could say at a minimum if you're spending th- more than $3000 on on bugs or on tools or what have you to find bugs maybe that's not the best investment. If you're spending less, that's probably a good thing. What is missing, what I would love to hear from all of these types of articles, because everybody loves to show off how much money they spent on bug bounties, even though it's not like really a high score wins, <laughs> but I would love to have see, see some additional information about how much they spent to fix them. In other words, this was an easy fix that took one engineer one hour or Ten engineers a week—that that type of thing—because I think that will help us a lot more with the idea of what does it cost to secure your software, and maybe just bug bounty programs are a great way to find and fix in production, and the 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 economics works out.
2: Yeah. I think um, you know it'd be fun to see. Sorry, is um, it'd be fun to see people, uh, the companies that want to publish those numbers about hey, look how much we've we've paid. I um, pretty pleased could they go ahead and publish their marketing budget as well for how much they're talking how much they're spending to talk <laughs> about how much they paid because I think that'd be sort of interesting just just a hand um, we've we're, we're definitely seeing this this trend of uh, bug bounties really sort of taken off over the last what 12 18 months um, you know Maggie talked about in a previous segment um, Intel at the hardware level with their FPGAs and um, and I think it's one thing for an Intel to do it, um, or a Google, or all these big major companies. My mm-hmm. my worry with these things is um, the smaller, less sophisticated, or less mature security. Uh, let me say that rephrase one more time. The companies with a less sophisticated security program that are going well, we could either get some, we could either fix our bugs, we could find our pen test, we could find some pentesters to tell us which bugs to fix, or we could just open a bug bounty program. Um, we all say we know don't want to do that, but I think there's a. Mm, I think there's a relatively good percentage of companies out there doing that on the smaller side. Um, that that's unfortunate and worrisome. So you know it'd be interesting to come back to like you know the the math statement you said there at the top of this talking about okay well three thousand dollars what are you getting for it what are you putting into it? M- my sense is. Um, some of this is, is it's a new form of hand-waving, I think. Like, hey, we've got a bug panty program. We paid out $10,000 last year. You know, We didn't pay out more, so obviously our stuff is secure. Um, I think we're going to start seeing a false sense of security from that point of view. And I, I hope it doesn't bite people, but I'm expecting it to. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch over the next some period of time.
1: Yes, it has a bit of the, the uh, unfortunately, the, the sincerity of, we take your security and privacy seriously, um, <laughs> opening sentence of many breach reports. But um still a good thing, but it needs that, it, you need to have a way for your application security team or your developer team to be able to... Categorize, respond, and triage bugs that, that come in. You can't just say, "Cool, we have a bug bounty, and we're going to fix the things." You need to have the processes behind it. And an example of a good process is this other article about um, from Shopify or about Shopify and a access token that was leaked that turned out into a fifty thousand dollar bounty. So not not bad work for what's essentially a little bit of grep work. Um, not not to take away from the the skill, you know, the the finding of it, but just showing that uh, also bug bounties are often paid by impact as opposed to effort. And um, speaking of we take your security and privacy seriously, there's also another phrase, most or all. uh, Not a great phrase if you have to use that when you're describing the impact of a bug on your uh, company, (laughs) the security of your company's app. So um, it's a great write-up. It's a great way to demonstrate I, one of the reasons I wanted to highlight it too is, you know, kind of speaking of community that we touched on a little bit with with Maggie of how to work with pentest or work with bug bounty researchers, how to have a positive collaboration, and how to basically say from the appsec side of things, oh wow, this is actually really bad, really embarrassing, but thank you. Here is what we're going to do to work with researchers, and everybody benefits in this case. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really good su- success from there.
2: And yeah, I'd, I'd love to have her back on. There was so much stuff we could dig into deeper. Um, on on that one in particular, she went in a different direction when I was asking about, you know, can you start with simulators, and, and you know, how can you start for free with there? And she went off talking about, and I've done it on the software side, like if you have a room of people and like you show them how to break into something, and like the eyes light up. Um, so I'm thinking that sort of concept back and bring it into Bug Bounty, well, uh, we we've talked to you know professional bug bounty hunters on, on here over the last what year or two. Mm-hmm. I think there's still space also for people to just come in, and it's not quite so much like the button smash in a video game, but to come <laughs> in with a lot less sophistication and <clears throat> sophistication and still make um, some interesting findings. Uh, and, you know, I think that the heart behind the, the previous story there, what what Google was doing is they're sort of revamping their their program a little bit. Um, It sounds like, it was a little confusing how that article came out last week, but it sounds like the overall results of it are going to be pretty good. Um, And hopefully it will bring new people into this space, new researchers, new eyes, that, you know, we can look at something all day, but every every other person comes in with a different perspective, um, more or less senior. Um, I think that's going to be sort of interesting to see what comes out. I
1: think so, and and actually, a good good callback to the Google article too, because they were also they they're setting up their their bughunters.google.com, and they're growing that community. But they what was really neat too is they're also providing some targets. So they're describing one Fuchsia OS, which I, I think I had written, had known about but completely forgotten to be honest. So I don't know if it's actually running on anything, but um, there is new operating system that is. Basically, super compartmentalized—you um, could call it containerized, but not so much in containers. Just compartmentalized of resources, and and also Envoy, which is an open source project that, um, like an edge proxy, uh, used by a handful of, of tech companies. And so, what what it is nice is that Google is pointing to some targets to say, you know, don't just keep looking at our Google Docs or getting trying trying to find that yet another cross site scripting in our uh, Gmail or poking around at Android and Chrome, there's a lot of other things out there to look at. So that is, I think, one nice aspect of how they're growing this is they're pulling in a lot more open source projects or just shining that light on them into their vulnerability rewards program, which overall is a good thing. Two more, uh, speaking of bugs, and these are, I don't know if they have explicit bounties behind them, but uh, we had one that was a webmail compromise via email in Zimbra. Now, I don't know this was too exciting about the Zimbra aspect because many people might not just recognize what Zimbra is, but basically... It's a web, web mail, uh, uh, e- HTTP-based web app to get into your email inbox. And as you might guess, when I say HTTP-based and email, there is a Good desire to throw some XSS in there. And this one stood out, one, because, once again, like highlighting nice write-ups. And this is a good educational write-up. The other thing that stood out to me for this is that the type of cross-site scripting flaw that they found bypassed the uh, OWASP. They were using the OWASP Java HTML sanitizer, which... Sounds like it might be good until you get to the part where it's using regular expressions. And um, in Zimbra, they were using a regular expression to look at these form elements. And... One of the a a common refrain, uh, or maybe not common enough refrain, is that regexes are great for pattern matching, but regexes are not parsers. And you should be parsing and analyzing HTML, not pattern matching it. And in this case, is a really cool example of how trying to pattern match against a form tag, and where's the beginning, end of that element? How are you handling double quotes or quoted strings in the context? Uh, Another throwback to one of the things Maggie was saying. It depends. It definitely depends on where your form tag is and if it's a form tag or if it is a, a, a attribute value that just looks like a form tag in some double quotes. And that's essentially how the uh, the attack got around some of the, this um, sanitizer and was able to trick it into uh, using an HR tag to inject a form action to an arbitrary content, essentially. So nice and clever. Uh, Definitely a known technique within cross-site scripting, but a great one that's a reminder for all of you pen testers out there or bug bounty researchers, take a look at this and uh, see what you can apply in the future for other places that are possibly using regexes for uh, sanitizing or doing any type of input validation on HTML.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's... It's good for all those aspects, but also, I mean, it's funny. I haven't. I feel like I haven't had to deal with this personally for a few years, probably because <laughs> I haven't. But um, this would be really great to show to. I'm trying. My trying to think quickly, enough my head, but not getting there. It'd be really great to show this to um, people who are trying to um, build some of these wheels at home by themselves, or you know, at office. Is mm-hmm. this stuff is so difficult to do right? Um, and you know what? What really triggered me there, as you're reading it, is you know they're using the OASP sanitizer, but still, even with that, there's not if you don't have all the pieces done right. And you know, talk about um, let's see how many callbacks we can go back to that last segment. Um, <laughs> Maggie was talking about, uh, as the complexity of your code grows, and you hit that, you know, a complexity score twenty or higher. I mean, just uh, the the code snippets on here alone, with the regex in them, are like you're like, they'd be interested to see how those rank on a lyncher. Um, I know that usually goes off length, but y- yeah, it, it's uh, it, you know, it's, it's don't do it yourself if you can't, you know, at all avoid it. it it's I, I wish this was easier to do by now, but it's it's. Um, Obviously not. So it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a good post, though. Definitely good read. Yeah, good read. And it, it, it can be one of those, to, to
1: riff a little bit on what you're describing, too, it could be one of those exercises to say, work with your developers, say, okay, let's build a regex pattern matcher to sanitize and find you know malicious payloads that's, that could be, uh, I'm losing my words now, XSS payloads. Mm-hmm. And then go through and, and show iteratively here's one type of payload, here's another, here's another, here's a slightly more complex HTML, and see how long it takes before that exercise becomes, as kind of intended, a, a point of frustration that says, huh, maybe a maybe a regex is not the best way to do this. Maybe we do need something that is a parser. And I know, and I can't off the top of my head uh, remember the link, but there is a Uh, standard that's being proposed for html sanitization within browsers to do this type of thing because there's also once you figure out different payloads there's also browser quirks to to deal with and um in in this day and age we definitely don't need to recreate the browser quirks of the you know uh, of of the 90s and, and have them be more consequential and horrible things for our browser security And, um, that's, that's the most I can take with browser security. I'm dying here. Oh, but you've, you've got (laughs) one more thing to say, John.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I got a few. Um, there was one article (laughs) which I don't think I managed to submit yet. Um, F5 came out. This was, I was going to do this as an, I told you so, but I ran out of time to go back to my previous, I told you so. It was an episode I think you were not on, um, when we had Adrian here, uh, I was trying to make the case against him and, um, one of our guests that, uh, modern day, should we be focusing more on web app as a security issue versus legacy from an AppSec point of view? And, I mean, this is F5, so it's, you know, I'm not gonna call it a, a fair and balanced um, report, but F5 and, and Senta got together, and uh, they're saying that more than half of the largest security instance are uh, um, web-based. So, um, and that's probably including the whole stack API and things like that. Um, but where I was going to go with this, back to back to your point directly, is you know we've been dealing with this now for HTML's been out for how many years? Uh, at least we're down now to I think there's three major rendering engines. Remember right between um, what Google, but between Chrome, Firefox, and um, Safari. Ah, uh, are using and Safari. I think we're de- we're we're narrowing down those number of, of rendering engines, which is a good thing because it means there's less things for all those different uh, variations for us to have to try and code against and support and secure. um But still, it'd be nice to have that standard come out.
1: Yes, definitely nice. And because uh, because
2: edge already they they were uh,
1: Microsoft was going with its own, but now they're like, ah, okay, we'll just use Chrome on the inside and you know our uh, edge on the outside. Um for their Chrome, but I didn't want to reuse the word Chrome because that's getting confusing. And everything's confusing. Other things that are confusing are, I think to your point, and maybe this will bolster a little bit of what you were saying there, John, is there is a top list of uh, exploited vulns from sisa. And this is there, there isn't a applicate. there is an application security angle here in the sense of, just look how legacy a lot of these problems are and the type of problems. So the the types of devices that are being exploited are a lot of VPN or edge devices, which isn't surprising because that's a touch point on your external attack surface. So why not go after the you know target those? But if you dig into uh, Citrix, Pulse Secure, Fortinet, there uh, and the vulnerabilities in there, um, I'm smiling because uh, in in the CISA pay article we have you can see there is a dot dot slash dot dot slash <laughs> dot dot slash yes um, some path traversals. And what's also unfortunate there's not only path traversals but traversals to a pearl by you know pearl code which I'm going to continue to make fun of Perl. That's my that's going to be my editorial stance. But also the idea of that that's got to be some legacy code. Um, the same with the others. There was a, a simple directory traversal to Etsy password. Like that is a simple lack of, you know, compartmentalizing where how your your system is running on or, or what what file system permissions it it can get to. It, it, I I'm getting frustrated here. I'm losing my words. The same thing with um the the other um directory traversal was just exposing credential information. So it's a lot of things that seem, unfortunately, sadly familiar to an application security checklist, I'll go ahead and use the word, Uh, but problems that we've seen for a long time that have known patterns to protect against. And the other aspect I wanted just to highlight from this is the idea that a lot of these volumes being exploited are actually old volumes. From there's one all the way back to 2017, then there's 2018 and 2019 represented as well. So, um, you know, just to we're we're going to make a couple more callbacks to Maggie because we want to encourage her to come back on and talk with us more. But she was saying, patch your stuff. Um, Here's an example of not quite firmware, hardware, but um, on the software side. Catch your stuff because a lot of these vulnerabilities, uh, you know, they 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 weren't new and exciting. They were old and known. They were old days rather than uh, zero days.
2: Um, don't mind my typing in the background on, on Discord. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got so many ways to go with this. Let's see. So first, while you were talking, I, I was digging through there. So we got twelve vulnerabilities on this page. Are twelve? Um, yeah, look, they look all unique. So twelve CVEs. Um, four of those are directory traversal, so of the top 12 issues according to CISA, 30% are, are, are based off of directory traversal in 2020. Um, let's see, where are we going next on here? All sorts of RCEs, that's sort of fun to see. The got 2017 got a giggle from me, uh, as you heard. Uh, you know what's sort of fun about lists like this, too? Um, I'm 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 temporarily out of the the enterprise security space, and I'm not disappointed about that. Uh, separate conversation, separate separate long, you know. Um, love the space, but every year we go through RSA and we see these same vendors, um, not these vendors, but the vendors selling stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But the thought here on these poor guys that are on this list, can you imagine the amount of AppSec salespeople that are calling into these companies trying to sell them more product? Um, and, and that that that's my comment on that one. It's, you know, it's it's, I don't know. Some of these companies are going to a lot of trouble, right? It's it's. I've worked with, God, um, most of these, uh, and I know there's good folks at all these places, and it just takes, you know, as we're we made a few comments now about like you know, um, Maggie talking about bit fiddling, uh, maybe without. I don't think she was saying unexperienced, but I'll say unexperienced bit fiddling. we were just talking about it a few minutes ago. Uh, all you need is just to blindly come along and, and poke in the right place on some of these and you're gonna break things in an interesting way. I mean, especially directory traversal, right? Some of these are probably fairly sophisticated, but at the same time, it doesn't take the rocket scientist to do a few dot dot slash dot dots. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> You know, this should be made a little more difficult by now. So, um, I don't know. It's an interesting list. Uh, You know, it'd be interesting to put this together with the the other guys we were talking about. Uh, What was it? The the guys that are going and scanning the internet again and and coming up with that list for um, Punk Spider. Yeah, Punk Spider. And and seeing what, what, I was going to say what percentage are getting fixed, how quickly, but we've got a CV on here from 2017. I know where it's going to go. There's another story which didn't come in. Let's see if I've got it in a tab. Uh, there is a new, wow, I found it quickly. New vulnerability out last week in um, Hyper V from Microsoft, uh, which I believe I found it last week and I was busy this week and so I didn't get a chance to put it in. It's in the virtual switch. I believe it's a breakout. But part of the problem what they're saying about this is um, the point of the article was. Uh, Hyper-V, since it's so low in that OS stack or in your application stack, you're not just going to patch that quickly, right? Because that's you're going to have to do some serious moving things around. If you're able, if your VMs are um, mobile and you can move them to another machine without reboot, then you can take care of the host. But if you if you can't migrate the VM, then you're going to have to take down the VM as well as the host to patch. Um, So a vulnerability like that, it's not a quick fix. It's not a quick just patch and keep going. And and that's probably to a degree how we end up with stuff like that 2017 vuln, which is in there. Um, I didn't see what it was in twice. I saw it was Microsoft. Um, I'm just curious, real quick, what is that related to? It is Confluence Server. What? No, it's a memory corruption, but it's related to Confluence somehow. That doesn't make sense. If you search down in there, maybe I'm looking. My ability to search could be broken, but it's hmm. no, it's Microsoft Office. Why are they talking about Atlassian? Yeah, the, yeah, I think you're just getting a little, little thrown by the the way
1: the the, the table is organized. Because there was a, the four year old phone was in uh, what the, I think the equation editor in Microsoft Office, and there was an Atlassian flaw that was in SSRF. Um, so SSRF strikes once again. Okay. As does visual I, I pattern think, matching versus parsing of tables, as we've demonstrated it, just now. <laughs>
2: yeah, 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 I, I, yeah, I'm, um, I, I think I'm going to, I, I'm going to rest my case at, uh, um, remote code executions in in uh, equation editors and just stop talking now. The prosecution rests
1: and we will move on to some other volumes. Speaking of testing, I did throw an article in there about testing in general that um, maybe I'm going to skip any details on because I wanted to go to this kernel ponying with EBPF, a love story, because who doesn't like a, a, a good love story? But what was neat about this is I think it's a it's a really cool conceptual throwback to our discussion with Maggie um, as well as what some of we just been talking about here about uh, also complexity and just kind of poking around at software just to see what happens so here's a researcher who basically said one this is a great write up a long write up that gives you two halves of a story essentially what is EBPF EB I'm not going to be able to say it consistently correctly but then also what's the, the journey to finding the vuln and exploiting the vuln so even if you Don't lean towards the the exploit side of things, just understanding when EBPF, um, EBP, anyway, (laughs) it's a a security boundary commonly used for syscall filtering. We've talked about it before in things like containers, those types of security and protecting at a very granular granular level what can or cannot or should or should not be going on within the kernel. In this case, the researcher says up front, I had no knowledge of what this was going into it, and my hope is by sharing a POC as well as the experience developing it, others can get started with uh, exploitation on EBPF. And what's neat about this is that it's a great way to say, hey, here's a particular technology I'm not familiar with, let me read about it play around with it, experiment with it a little bit. And just with that attacker mindset or a threat modeling mindset, what could go wrong? And the long story short, uh, long but good story, is that they, they found a great um, mismatch, a great misassumption in the way that the uh, sanitizer that's used for this microcode that's being uh, created for these uh, small bits of um, functions being created is that there was a, a mismatch in the way it was handing 32-bits versus 64-bit values. And they were able to leverage that uh, mismatch and get into a privilege escalation uh, exploit. So really cool journey, really cool details into a lot of what's going on within the code, as well as another callback to some of our previous episodes, looking at what the comments said within the code and what those comments were directing towards in terms of assumptions or that magic phrase, this this shouldn't happen. Um, well, guess what did happen? Uh, a, mi- uh, a misuse of, of 32-bit and 64-bit values that turned into exploits. So really great write-up, uh, really fun, and hopefully I did it justice in describing it. It's a, it's a great article to read.
2: No, I think you did. I, uh, um, what, how, I'm what? i not quite sure how I got there, but I there was another link to this, which I saw last week, so I probably didn't see this post. Um, and the other link, I clicked directly on, I'm like, oh, because they they published, I think we heard about this um, a few months ago. I think we covered it briefly, but the, the code's out now on GitHub. So I'm like, cool, let's jump into the code um, for disploit. And it's just complicated enough that I couldn't quite wrap my head around it to talk about on the show. Um, but I think this write-up looks like a, a much better way to go about it. So it's one of those cases where this is probably going to help to read the love story. Uh, Instead of trying to dig in directly into the code. Because, I mean, there's a lot of bit manipulation and and stuff going on, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and what's also the other thing that really is, I think, that was really stood out to me is there was also, uh, there was some hand-rolled bytecode in there, and there was the sentiment that's like, yeah, you're going to need to debug this because... Just like normal software, exploits don't always work the first time either, except maybe the dot dot slash, which is why I like them. But um, what's really helpful is that the, in here, the, the author says, here's some debugging, both at um, some some static analysis as well as some runtime debugging to help you through. So it's a great way to follow along basically what they did, and then you could expand that onto new and interesting additional vulnerabilities that you might find within this uh, EBPF um, stack as well and it's still pretty dynamic so the vulnerability that was described here has been fixed I believe in April or July I think uh, a very recent released code update of this so there's probably some additional things in some uh, attack surface that could be found some flaws in the way that the uh, sanitizers are going about and trying to replace dead code and finds when you know what, what is some malicious or some nefarious byte code that's in here and how could we strip it out and protect Protect the server from being abused, protect the kernel from being yeah. abused.
2: EBPF is is relatively new. Um, and I say it's been out for oh, I don't want to put a time on it, at least five years, probably seven or eight is my guess. EBPF, not EBP. Uh, <laughs> and the, the reason I mentioned that, I know there's no Riley book added. I think I've got a PDF copy, not a physical one. I dig through it occasionally when I need to, but I think this EBPF space is fairly untouched. Um, I, I know folks started using it in the container side when they didn't want to do what we did at Layered inside, and they wanted couldn't use a kernel module, so they started trying to use this for securing things. Um, I noticed some other use cases out there for it, but I think it's still fairly limited in the exposure that it's gotten. So not surprised to see this, and it wouldn't surprise me as as people start poking around a little further that we might find some more stuff as well. Because, I mean, it is, you're writing, you're compiling code that gets run in the kernel so yeah a little 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 sketchy not sketchy but a little um hair raising how about that little hair
1: raising it's it's definitely one of those security boundaries or it's one of those areas that's attack surface that is you know user user influence code potentially going into the kernel and that's always one of those scary phrases so if there's if there's another theme for today besides um the safety dance it is the scary phrases and maybe with that is uh, time to, to wrap things up. Um, we'll throw it back over to you one more time, John, just in case there was one other article that was on your mind that you want to chat about and leave us with any parting words.
2: Um, Apple's, uh, there was a few stories from the big guys that didn't get in. Um, more updates came out from Apple last week, more O-days. I think the interesting part about that, just to hit it real quickly, is the number was pretty staggering. It's the 13th Day out of that's been patched from Apple in 2021. So while we make fun of a lot of the other vendors, um, you know, it's 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 not just any one particular. There's a lot of companies out there that are still struggling to as they put out more cool functionality and features. Um, there's still a lot of patching that's having to be done of, of very significant issues. So um, I don't want to make it look like I'm picking on one vendor. I want to pick on all vendors equally. So there's that
1: pick on all vendors equally. and The same could be said. We were just talking about Google's VRP program, and Chrome has also had an unfortunate slew of a lot of zero days they've been pushing out updates for as well. So uh, the the problem clearly isn't solved, which means that we're going to have plenty more episodes of Application Security Weekly for you to listen to, because there's going to be a lot of problems out there. So do please keep listening. Uh, you, can, uh, you can thank, or I can thank you, actually, for listening. I can thank John for joining me. And uh, I'm just going to say thank you again, because I'm getting stumbling all over my words and I just have the safety dance stuck in my head. And that's all I'm going to sing as we, we go out here. So thanks everyone again. We'll see you next week on Application Security Weekly.